Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast, and we are back for another week. My name is Jack Collins, and joining me as ever is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hi, mate. Hello, mate. And, of course, Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm okay, mate. I'm, well, I'm actually a lot better than I was. And I have to say, a few weeks ago, I was a bit concerned about what was going on with my mic levels. And I'm actually the melon of the lockdown. Because I got some new headphones, didn't think anything of it, started, plugged them in or whatever, cracked on. And, well, you two noticed last, on Friday when we were recording the Patreon, that suddenly my sound was, I, I bent down to pick something up, I think, and I spoke as I did it. And Sam was like, ah, why are you shouting in my ear? And I was like, I'm not, I'm actually further away from my mic. We're like, what? That makes no sense. And, well, long story short, we're not sure quite how many episodes we've done it for, but I've been recording through a complete completely different microphone and it was the ones that were attached to my headphones and this mic that I've been directing around and talking into was doing absolutely nothing it's a complete <laughs> waste of time and worse than that I mean I know it made your job a lot more difficult because well you had to edit out all these weird sounds of it probably like hitting my jumper and stuff like that I've been working so hard in post-production and just not really being able to work out what's going on and I mean like I just don't understand what's happening and finally we got to the bottom of it so I'm glad that I'm having to do less in post so I think everybody's happy to be perfectly honest with you Um, sorry should we get into this pod and we're going to well not forsake things we love because the whole episode is basically things we love but we're going to take a real deep dive here into to the Champions League and Europa League quarterfinals, the last eight in both. And we're going to rank both competitions or at least rank both all the teams left in both the competitions from eight to one. Sam's going to take the lead on the Champions League. And then as Europa League man, I'm going to take the Europa League things and we're going to have a look at who who's most likely to win it, who's least likely to win it, who the dark horses are and, and kind of go through the whole competition and, and have a little look at how things have gone. Now that we know the brackets, now that we know the draws, now we know who can face who in exactly what positions, it becomes a lot easier to look at it as a kind of holistic whole. Uh, and that's important, I think, Sam. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can essentially project your bracket, you can fill it out as if it's March Madness, and you can ultimately think about who you can basically predict a final, can't you? Which you've never been able to do really before. I mean, last year, they did operate in this bracket and they did decide to draw the semi-finals along with the quarterfinals, presumably because of coronavirus regulations and just having to amass that many people in Switzerland to do a draw, which, by the way, is totally pointless and doesn't need to happen anyway. Um, but they've carried it on, and I welcome it, because now I can confidently say who I think will be in the final from the quarterfinal stage. But anyway, I've ranked these teams... It's important for you, because considering you came on the Europa League show and then picked Spurs and... But um, to get to the final, it's now easier for you to actually pick teams that might might actually get there. Yeah, I was reverse jinxing them on purpose. 
<laughs> that's the official that's the official line um anyway i've ranked them eight to one the champions league team so i'll go first and i've ranked them in order of how likely i think they are to to win this competition which is relatively similar to how strong they are anyway at this stage uh but obviously which side of the draw and the bracket that they've landed on has a massive impact so shall we begin yeah absolutely a hundred percent let's uh let's get into it let's get into the champions league first and we'll follow it up with europe's most exciting cup competition after. <laughs> All right, I'll do the warm-up. Okay, right. So just a reminder, it's Man City versus Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich versus Paris Saint-Germain, Porto versus Chelsea, and Real Madrid versus Liverpool. That's the quarterfinal draw. Uh, we predicted them on Friday, and I got one right. <laughs> if that's such Did a you? thing. It's not a thing, obviously. <laughs> but I got one right, and I was really happy about that. I got City versus Dortmund, uh, all downhill from the first draw. Anyway, it's Dortmund who feature in eighth. So Erling Haaland or not, I cannot, I cannot physically believe that Dortmund have the capacity to win this game over two legs and to play the sort of football that is far enough removed from the spectrum of chaos to actually go through Man City. And then if they do so, Bayern or PSG and then a final. This is a long road for Dortmund in which they are not allowed to capitulate or self-combust. I do not think that is realistic or possible. And they've landed in the bad half of the draw. They're probably, they are the weakest team in that half of the draw and they've got one of the strongest sides to play. And if they beat them somehow, they've got one of the other strongest sides to play. I just feel like this is, this is clearly stacked against Dortmund here and a major part of that is the bracket. Yeah, and so they're, they're bottom of this pile for you. They are the least likely team to win the Champions League. Yes, they are. Any, uh, any contentions? I mean, they do have Haaland. They mm. do. They've got the... This is weird because they have got the best striker possibly in the world <laughs> like it's hard to, it's hard to say like obviously you've got Lewandowski and Kane and blah 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 but Holland's an absolute machine so like there is that also I've got Porto at eight mm. because Porto why? I think are the worst team left that's why I've got them at number eight and I don't see any possible way they're getting past Chelsea um, see, I, I I kind of agree with you, but there's a there's a point to be made here that I think that Dortmund wouldn't have got past Juventus. I don't, I just don't think they would have. And the fact that Porto have mm. have overcome that obstacle, have seen off uh, a side who are expected to go deep into this competition uh, and manage to kind of battle through that, I do think also that. I think that Chelsea will beat Porto. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming out here to say that I think they're going to pull off another gigantic shock. But I am intrigued as to how Tuchel's setup works against a team that, that dig in quite as deep. And I know that Atleti did this in the first leg, but I also don't think that Atleti were too far away from getting the nil-nil that they were kind of hoping for in, in that first leg. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see if, if Porto do something very similar. But, but this is Dortmund, Sam, so I, I do want to take you back to that point. Yeah, well, I, I was actually going to take it forward into number seven, which is Porto, and just kind of wrap this in, which is that I have like a lot of respect for what Porto managed to do against Juventus. And on paper, I agree with Dean, this is the, this is the weakest team left in the competition. I put them above Dortmund because them getting through Chelsea... And then Real Madrid or Liverpool and to a final, I think is more likely than Dortmund beating City and then one of Bayern or PSG for a start. Um, I also do think that the way Porto managed to beat Juventus and the way they set up and the way they, they will have to set up against these teams, I think they need to thrive on some dysfunction in the opposition to really cancel out a team of this quality. And Juventus, 
for at least 90, if not 135 minutes of that two-legged tie, were very dysfunctional, a bit all over the place, and could be taken advantage of. Thanks to Porto's togetherness, thanks to their cohesiveness, and thanks to that kind of attitude and that determination, the fact they're really hard to play against. I just think that Chelsea will be too cool, too cool, too cool, too calm. Very good, very good. And too calculated. And they will not let Porto disrupt in the way they did against Juventus. And they will not present that weak side for, for Porto to kind of seize upon. I do think that Chelsea will essentially cruise control this and control the outcome. And that is probably the most important thing of what in these 180 minute ties at this at this level. So Porto, I've gone for seventh. I think, obviously, I think everyone would have had these two as, as seven and eight. It's just a case of which way around you put them. And I mean... It's totally fair what you say there about the way you expect that to pan out. I mean, the other thing going back to Dortmund is they've got so much to do domestically, like they're still chasing that top four and that might be more of a priority than winning this game. You look at their recent failings when they have scored goals, even the Bayern Munich game, which they lose 4-2 when they're 2-0 up, Uh, the Sevilla game, which they almost managed to throw away after being ahead. Uh, Cologne at the weekend, you know, they 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 well, they kind of did mess that up. They didn't get the win they needed, and you can't trust the Dortmund team. But one thing you can trust is that Holland always scores, right? He, he scores every seventy-five minutes. Holland scores a goal, and he always scores in big matches. So I do think that well, as long as he plays and doesn't get injured between now and then, that Holland scores against Man City. But I just have absolutely no faith in that team, the defense. But there's about like. Three, three or maybe four players at Dortmund you can trust to do your job. The other six, you've got your just your hands are over your eyes for most of the game, just hoping for the best. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, I suppose uh, that's... cities. Uh, there's there's a point to be made slightly that cities exits in the Champions League to this point have been against teams that you'd have expected them to be of of late, really. And and I think there's maybe something to say that that Dortmund might try and play on that and, and try and play on the kind of fear that it might happen again. And I think everybody expects City to beat Dortmund. I think that a lot of us have spent a lot of time saying that we think the City overall, and especially in the circumstances of the season, have been the most consistent team in Europe. But they have a history at this point of making things too hard for themselves in these games. And you look at the Lyon game last year where everyone was like, well, that should be a cruise control for City. And it wasn't. You look at the Tottenham game that happened a couple of years back and you know, given their league positions at the time, you expected City to see that out with no major issues. They didn't. And Dortmund will look at that and go, look, this is a team that are looking at this point. And, and actually, you know, weirdly, if we were talking about this the other way around, if it's Porto that had drawn Man City, and talking about that kind of preying on the insecurities of another team, they might have had a you know a chance to make try and do that and and, and kind of mm. stifle City out. And I think City would have got the better of, of Porto in the way that I think they'll get the better of Dortmund. But it is something to to raise as a point. I think that's fair. I think my only concern here would be that look, even if they do have a vulnerability, I think you still to beat City in their current incarnation. I think you have to play basically a perfect game, um, or at least ninety percent of a perfect game. I have absolutely no faith in Dortmund being able to put that together, particularly over 180 minutes. I just don't think it's possible. So yeah. I've got them in eighth and then Porto are in seventh. And we'll move into six where I have placed Real Madrid. So mm, same. That's where I had them. There you go. Well, so what happened last round? 3-0 aggregate win over Atalanta. But I think... Really impressive, could... actually, in hindsight. Well, yeah, but I think it could have been a bit different, honestly. I mean, that was that was... 
the scene was set there by an early red and you know Real Madrid then pushing with the onus on them to find an away goal to basically bury the tie and they nearly didn't make it it was the it was the only reason they got it is because Fernand Mendy scored probably the best goal he'll ever be responsible for, you know, with a right-footed outside-the-box strike into the corner of the net, which is absolutely remarkable. It's a, this is a scenario in which Real Madrid had one man more for like 75 minutes and very nearly, but for a moment of absolute magic, just didn't take advantage of it. And of course, that sets the scene for the second leg. It means they can sit in and counter, and they countered extremely well. Vinicius Junior and Karen Benzema were very, very good. I think... The problem with Real Madrid is that even at their very best, gauging them this season, I think we know that they are limited in comparison to the the upper echelons of this pool of teams. So these eight teams, they're, they're some of the best in Europe. We're, we're comparing them against the very, very best. And I think Real Madrid are are a level below the, the, the teams that we're going to come and, and look at very shortly. Now, they have landed again in that soft side of the draw. I think they've got quite a close game here against Liverpool, who are also quite difficult to project. And you can never discount the fact that in Courtois, Ramos, Casemiro, Modric, Kroos and Benzema, you have six players there. So the majority of a team, six players who, if they fancy it, will just decide the game. And you can't, you cannot disrespect that or their European pedigree. But I think even at their very, very best, Real Madrid feel quite tangibly a level off the top order here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be fair to say. I just think there is... Pieces missing from this Real Madrid team, right? And and I think in in Fernand Mendy they have a wonderful left back, and I think that in Carvajal when he's fit he's a you know a wonderful right back, even if he is slightly coming over his peak now. Um, and and there are players that in you know Fede Valverde and there's there's and Marco Asensio who's having a bit of a renaissance himself, you know, who will be able to come into this side and 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 cause problems for Liverpool, but it doesn't seem to have that spark. And actually, weirdly, we've talked a lot about grinding out this year, right? And and being able to kind of fall back onto your patterns and make things happen. But I think when teams, the best teams do that, they have players who can, you know, make things happen on a whim. And, and Benzema strikes me as the only player who, and we saw it again at the weekend in La Liga, who's just basically like, right, I've got this, don't worry about it. Modric and, can do that too. Yes, but in less of a dynamic way, I think. I think when Modric has games like he did against Atalanta, he is magical, majestic in the middle, and he was able to hugely influence the game. But it was still Benzema coming up with the goods, I think, a lot of the time. And and, and that's maybe the, the slight difference I've gone for there. Not that's not disrespect to Modric, it's just you see less of Modric being like, right, oh, I'm just gonna you know, I'm just gonna pick this on the edge of the box, beat two men and score like in the way that Benzema did at the weekend, in the way that Benzema did when they needed him in the 90th minute to, to win that game. And and so there is always that factor. But given the fact that they would have to go through Liverpool, obviously, and then probably Chelsea, who feels so well drilled at the moment. And like you say, I just think there's too much to do and not enough spark in this side to get them through both of those games. And that would then pit them against well, one of the four on the other side of the draw, all of whom I think would prove quite a tricky challenge. Even Dortmund, who we've put bottom of this list, would actually be quite like a, a forceful challenge for Real Madrid, I think, at this point, because of the way that they're set up to just kind of play in a, in a maniacal style in many ways. And and when you look at that and you pit it against the kind of dull thump of this Real Madrid team <laughs> who, who do grind things out... I just don't think they've got enough to get them over the line. That's a good way of putting it. I was going to say lack of fear factor, but dull thump has a nice ring to it. Hmm. I mean, it, it's summed up, I think, by the fact that you, you look at 
where Madrid's goals have come from this season. Um, this is just across the Champions League and La Liga, but Benzema has 22 goals across those two competitions. And then second in the list is Casemiro. And he's I got did see this the other day. He's got six goals. What a player, so, though. So I know, but you've got this drop-off. One, you've got the drop-off to six goals from 22 for the man that's backing him up. And secondly, it's Casemiro. He's their defensive midfielder. Like that, that, Oh, that should... only in spirit. Come on. You know, know that he know, plays but... about eight positions at once. But, you know, you would expect like Vinicius Jr., Asensio, Hazard, if he was ever fit to be up there. And, you know, Vinicius Jr. has got four goals. Asensio's got four. And Hazard's managed three. And it just goes to show like the failings of this Madrid team so f- so far this season and just where they're falling short week after week is, you know, Benzema, luckily for them, does often deliver. But if he doesn't, it's, you know, you'll hope you're probably relying on like Ramos, a penalty or something from a corner. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember here that Vinicius Jr. is cursed in front of goal. And when that curse eventually rubs off, Real Madrid are going to win all the titles in the world. Yeah. But, but I don't know what the date is where that curse fades. I haven't got hard confirmation on either one. Okay. Uh, but you're, you're right. They aren't, people aren't stepping up around him and it does create a limitation. I'd say the best way to, to put it is, is that they do carry like a lack of a, of a fear factor. And that's really, that's really evident when they play. And they, they score loads of late goals, grinding through games, as Jack says, and they're, they're, not, the, they're not the prettiest watch. Um, but look, they face Liverpool in the quarterfinals, who I've placed fifth. And I don't know what to make of this game um, because I don't know what version of Liverpool I'm going to be seeing. I think they're probably the hardest team of all eight to place because you, you can't be sure what you're going to be looking at. You know, they were you know, 2019 Champions League champions. They were Premier League champions in 2020. They were basically worse than West Brom over Christmas. And it, they need to figure out which version of themselves they're going to put forward. Um, I've got to guess that the team that Liverpool put out for this quarterfinal will involve two centre-backs at centre-back and Fabinho at holding midfield. And if they do do that, then they stand a chance of beating just about anyone because, well, having a properly aligned team is very, very important. I actually think Trent's come back into form quite nicely over the last couple of months. don't really understand why Gareth Southgate has now decided to leave him out, citing a lack of form when he was basically rubbish until Christmas and now he's been good. Um, but yeah, Fabinho back in the middle has such an effect. That second game against Leipzig was very was a very, very good performance from Fabinho, from Thiago, finally as well, with the midfield makeup restored and the balance and I'd probably give Liverpool the edge here against Real Madrid. I'd back them to win over two legs uh, because their peak level is quite a lot higher. It is. And again, that fe- take that fear factor element. Who are you more scared of when both teams are firing? Liverpool by an absolute distance. So I'll go for them on the assumption that they carry on this steady progression back to their peak form. Yeah, I think this is reasonable. I think the other thing that's worth pointing out here is the the re-kind of integration, the rehabilitation of, of Diego Jota mm. has given their attack a little bit of breathing space again in a period where they couldn't score for love nor money. And there was that period where then they went seven games at home without a goal from open play. And it's just not what you expect from one defending champions, but two from this Liverpool side who have been so thrilling across their attacks for so many years, right? And who have genuinely, for, for long before even, they were this side that everyone was like, oh, they're going to win a title. Liverpool have always have been an attacking force for, for quite some time, even when they were trying to get up to this level. And it was the defensive side of things that was completely capitulating. And it, when, the, when the attack dried up, when the goals dried up, that was a moment you were like, ooh, something's not right here. And, and Jota's return to the side gives them options there. It gives them rotations there. It allows them to give 
the players that need a rest, a rest. And we talked about this on Monday's episode with United, like not resting the players that just are so worn out. And and we've seen performances drop on the back of that. And so when all of this is kind of said and done, I, I think that Liverpool are probably on an upward streak and that's a good thing for everyone involved. The one real weakness I think that you would, would say in that Liverpool team potentially would be the centre-back partnership. And it looks right now that like they would probably play Quebec and Phillips as as the central partnership. And um, I think there's more faith probably in, in that getting stronger. And the real way that you would probably expect them to be exploited is through fast movement and pace, which Madrid probably don't have. <laughs> so... That that's probably another reason to just have Liverpool edging it because like there are flaws in their game, but I'm not sure Madrid have. Well, they probably have got the tools within the squad, but not at the moment because they're not on the top of their game. Yeah, and those tools aren't sharp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I'd pretty much agree with that. Um, Dean, where did you have uh, Liverpool? Yeah, so I had Madrid six, Liverpool five. Okay, so we're already we're, we're switch we're switching we're switching Dortmund and Porto so far, but uh, the official order because it's from me is Dortmund in eighth, Porto in seventh, Real Madrid in sixth, Liverpool in fifth, and into the top four. This is where I've decided to put Paris Saint Germain. Now at this Correct. point we enter serious serious contender territory. I think every team from this point on can 100% win the Champions League if things fall their way. And that is important. Even for the very best sides, you need things to fall your way. So for PSG, we've got an electric attacking force. They have two of the world's five best players, in my opinion. And they have some revenge to dish out after last year's final. But I've got them in fourth because I make them slight underdogs against Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. And if they do manage to get through that, and that would be gruelling then it's probably Manchester City in the semi-finals, which would also be gruelling. So if they manage that by a hair, then they get to the final, fine. But the three teams I referenced there, PSG, Man City, Bayern, there's not a lot between them. But if pushed, and I have to rank them, PSG, I think, are the third strongest team of those three. And they're all clustered together on the one side of the bracket. So what else can I do really here other than put them below both City and Bayern? And I've actually ended up putting them in fourth because I think the route to the final is just that much harder. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think it makes sense. And and this is where the bracket comes into play, right? This is the first time, really, you're looking at this and going, yeah, but if, if PSG were in Chelsea's position, they'd probably be second in this ranking. But they're not. They have to come through the two teams that we think are probably stronger than them in Europe in order to even get to a final. That's knackering in itself. Four legs against uh, against City and Bayern, you'd imagine. And if that comes to pass, then you end up with you know it's either a resurgent Liverpool, a grinding out Real Madrid, <laughs> Chelsea side who are on the up, and and you know it becomes an incredibly hard route to the trophy. And that, I suppose, look, and someone will say, if you want to win these tournaments, you've got to beat the best teams, right? But that's actually not necessarily true anymore. You know, you look at, I always say this about the fact that England semi-final run in the World Cup. No, 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 this isn't relevant. No, it is. It is. It's It's, it's important that they didn't hit anyone of any real damage until the semi-finals. And that's the, that's the key element here because the, the fact that England got to the semi-final in that tournament doesn't make them the fourth best team in that tournament. That's not how things work. No, it's we because the, the route they carved out happened to be a route where they played inferior sides. And look, there's, that's, not, that's not an insult. It's just the way that tournaments work. 
It's just that it happens to be, you know, you're always going to have stronger sides of jaws and weaker sides of jaws. And it happens to be that PSG are in a horrible side of the jaw and they are going to have to do this the hard way if they are finally going to get the trophy they're looking for. Well, two reasons to believe in PSG. They have the best centre-back in world football called Presnel Kimbembe. <laughs> and they have the best full, one of the best forwards in, in the world called Kylian Mbappe, who we've seen me... Are you a fan, well, very excited about, haven't we, in, in the past. So, um, but there's... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only half-joking about Kimbembe as well because he's, he's actually genuinely, like, since that draft... Um, he must have heard me in that draft that we did at that episode because he's he's got better and better since that day. Um, but yeah, there's the Mbappe factor, which you can't ignore. And, you, and he is capable of winning a game by himself. He could pull something out of nothing if the game's tight enough. Uh, but I think you're right. I think fourth is exactly where PSG should be in the list. Okay. Well, add Neymar to that as well, by the way. Neymar can also win a game by himself. If he's so fit, it does, yeah, if he's it fit. does feel very strange to have a team with those two attacking talents. And considering what we've talked about with Real Madrid and the lack of X Factor as a reason to hold them back to have PSG in fourth. But this is just the way the bracket falls, I'm afraid. And into third, and this really is the art of the bracket because I don't think Chelsea are a better side than PSG, but I've got them ahead of them in this rankings because I think... Given the bracket, given how it's all landed for them, they are probably a touch more likely to win this Champions League. And it is amazing how things have fallen for the Blues, to be honest. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed in football, but they have drawn the weakest on-paper side for the quarterfinals in Porto, in my opinion, and they've avoided all three of PSG, City and Bayern in the bracket. This is an absolutely massive win, and while obviously they still have to do the work, there should be an expectation at Stamford Bridge that they are going to reach a Champions League final this year. Like, I strongly believe that. I think they should believe that they that they should be going to that final and, and, and not making it, I think, would be a bit of a failure, to be honest with you. Depends exactly how good Liverpool get on their upward curve, of course, if they were to win their quarterfinal and meet them. But a, a team like Chelsea, what we've seen recently, the way that they control games, keep the scoring low, but keep it in their own favour, they're built for this kind of competition. And... I don't know. Like I, st- I struggle with with Chelsea because it's so it's still so early in the t- in the Tuchel tenure, and you don't know how or if or when they might fall off a little bit. But everything we watch at this point is just perfect for this kind of competition and these two legged ties, and particularly against teams of this caliber, just controlling that outcome for yourself and keeping teams off the ball, keeping teams away, not letting teams have shots. I mean, that's an easy way to win games, isn't it? And um, I think we've seen already, you know, Juventus and Atalanta can be emblematic emblematic of this. Bad things happen to you in this competition when a game gets away from you and when you start to chase games. That's when that's when things go really, really wrong. And Chelsea, of all teams, really, maybe other than City, are the team here that can just make sure that that never happens. Yeah, there's something about this Chelsea side that feel a little bit athletic of old. And I, I don't mean that stylistically. I mean that in the... There just doesn't seem to be games at the moment that, you know, that they let slip away from them. They're always in games. And and when you base that, and part of this is obviously a defensive bedrock, and I don't think Chelsea's is based on quite the, the blood and thunder approach that Simeone, you know, employed. It, it's a very different appeal. It's a very different style. But it is similar in that they don't really concede. Games seem to be relatively tight. You know, again, we had a question on Monday in the post box about the fact that Chelsea don't score more than two goals. That's absolutely fine if you don't concede any. Like, <laughs> and, and at the moment, Chelsea aren't conceding any goals. So, you know, hard as it is to, to change this view from where they were over Christmas 
to, to where they are now it is incredible. And it's incredible. A change of manager, a change of style and someone who's come in and been like, right, I'm just going to put the players I have into a system that works for them and, and kind of run with it. And I think that that's what Chelsea have going for them right now. And with all that said, they, they look incredibly difficult to beat, which in this competition is important. I think also, like what I like about Tuchel and what I think will really help Chelsea, especially with his approach to this season, is there's no emotion involved in the decisions that he's making. And I think with Pochettino at PSG, there will be a tendency to make decisions that might not be practical, but like he might want to chase that. He might get a temptation to do something that really deep down he might not do. And I think it's that the same, to be honest, could be said for Pep at Man City. He's got that in him as well, that this, there's this urge to do something, this urge to do something that just changes a game. And it's not always what you should be doing. And Tuchel, I've, you know, I've, noticed his in-game management and I haven't seen much of him to be honest before this much of him until he's come to Chelsea and you two obviously have but as I said before in a pod like his his in-game management and the way he just picks up 20 minute spells of games to change the way that tactically they play like that's that's made for this tournament the way that it's panning out right now and the path that they've got to the final I don't think there can be any doubt that Chelsea have got more chance of winning this than PSG. And I'd even argue that there's more chance of them winning it than Man City. Well, to quote legendary MMA fighter Jean Roca from the hit 2008 film Never Back Down. So actually a fictional character. You sound like Reese James right now. No matter what happens. That's not even a joke. <laughs> no matter what happens, control the outcome. It's on you. Always has been. So where your mother-in-law has the sign in her bathroom that says live laugh, love. Tuchel has scored that into his bathroom wall and chants at it <laughs> while he goes to the toilet. I'm sure of it. Because there's nothing that he does tactically that is not about ascertaining complete and utter control over the outcome. It's Honestly, it's, it sounds kind of simple, but that's all he's striving for. And Jack, your comparison to Atletico Madrid, I like it. Obviously, you're you're not saying that they they bunker in and, def- and defend. It's very it's it's much the opposite. Actually, they control the ball. They don't let you have it. But the principle is you dictate the terms on which the game is played. You dictate the territory and the terms and the speed. It's ultimately the same concept. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. And and with that, I think we should probably move into number two, Sam. Sure. Okay, I'm going to group these together. Obviously, we all know who's here. I'm going to take Man City in second and Bayern in first. Okay. A month ago, they may have been swapped. It's really close. It's really, really close. And obviously, I'm really I'm hoping for a, a sensational semi-final out of these two here, over two legs. These kind of games... Yeah, we get them over two legs. That's quite nice. Need to be over two legs, yeah. I'm not gutted at all that this isn't a potential final because semi-finals are always better than finals. Um, but I think I've just seen a little something from Bayern over the last month that's made me believe that they are stepping it up a gear when the, when, when the time is required. And that Lazio performance, actually, in the Champions League, the first leg, was a real eye-opener. Going into that game, I thought they looked a little bit fragile. And they turned up that night and said, oh, by the way, we're Bayern Munich. And they battered them, absolutely battered them. And obviously they've got this recent pedigree. They're defending champions. They've got this cold, hard killer instinct. They're looking really scary again. Look at these results, you know, in the last month or so. 5-1 against Cologne, 4-2 Dortmund, 3-1 against Werder Bremen. Then they beat Lazio again. Then they beat Stuttgart 4-0 despite being having a man sent off in like the 10th minute at 0-0. Like, they're, they're very, very scary. Very, very scary. I think City are an incredible side and all of those 
comments we made about Tuchel and controlling the outcome with Chelsea, they apply to City. They do. Bayern are a little bit more helter-skelter because they play a little bit more openly. And it's very difficult to pick between the two. So what I did was I actually phoned the Monsters University and asked them to register City and Bayern on the Scareometer. And they came back to me with their official report and uh, City were an eight and Bayern were a nine. So in a way, my hands are tied. I had to put Bayern top. Right. Thank you. Thank you to the Monsters University for for doing that for us. It's obviously very useful. Um, I would have these the other way around. Uh, And I've been saying it for a while, but I just think City's low bar is higher than pretty much anyone else's this year. I think that their average, their patterns of play that they fall back into, the the fact that even when they're not playing well, they tend to win games 3-0 is terrifying, frankly, for anyone else. Now, the only reason that I would maybe consider your your switch is because of the pedigree in terms of Bayern won it last year. It's not as much of a worry. There's not as much pressure on them to go and win it again, I don't think. You know, obviously fans will expect and, and people will expect them to be challenging in this competition, which they already are. Whereas City are yet to get this monkey off their back in terms of actually going out and winning this competition. So that's perhaps the only place that I would say in terms of pedigree that Bayern have City this year. Um, but there is an argument to say that that's an incredibly crucial thing and an incredibly crucial point that that needs to be raised at any given point. So, so I would I'd be interested. Dean, did you go the same way as Sam? I've got Bayern at one. I mean, I've got Chelsea at two. So um, Chelsea. I've just got two. a feeling that Chelsea can win the Champions League. I've just you know, as soon as that draw was made, like a lot of my mates support Chelsea, and I was like, oh no. They might win the Champions League. <laughs> if I feel like this, what's Frank Lampard? What's Frank Lampard feeling like? Um, <laughs> well, let, let me tell you now. Yeah, if Frank it's, Lampard it's, was it's still in charge, I wouldn't have say, them like, third. Yeah, do you think they'd still be in the competition? I don't know. Like, possibly not. But <laughs> no, what a no, what a decision, wouldn't. by the way. And I think this is probably worth addressing. Like, what a decision by Chelsea to get rid of Lampard at that stage and get Tuchel in. Like, I don't think it's really been discussed a lot, to be honest. Like. That's an absolute masterstroke that's not just saved their season, but potentially propelled them into next season too. Well, hang on, they haven't won anything yet. No, they haven't. But the point is that, you know, we we talked a lot on this podcast about Erling Haaland's future and the fact that Chelsea are obviously incredibly interested, as every other, you know, super club in Europe is. But I don't think under Frank Lampard, with Chelsea finishing fifth in the league and getting knocked out in the last 16 of the the Champions League against Atleti, there's any chance in the world that Erling Haaland looks at that and goes, yeah, that's a project I want to be part of. But I do think there's a chance if Chelsea go on and get to the final of this competition at a minimum and and perhaps even win it, that Erling Haaland goes and looks at and goes, yeah, I could do with joining the Champions League winners in a project that looks like it's, you know, already in full swing, despite the fact it only started six months ago. I think that there's there's something in that. Yeah. And, and that in itself is a win. The fact that that's even being considered, I would imagine, in, in these circles, it is something that Chelsea have to look at and be like, yeah, we made the right call there. And and look, it is, it's a really interesting one because does that decision happen if there are fans in stadiums? Does Frank Lampard get I don't know. I don't know if it does. Mm. Because of the 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 well, you know, the good feeling, the the camaraderie I mean, around were turning on him. That's yeah, I I do I totally agree with you. I I do think even Chelsea fans that were like Lampard to the core were kind of sick of it, and they they were like, we can't we can't just let this pass just because it's Frank Lampard. Like our season's literally dying here. So I I know I know what you mean, but I don't think there would have been like protests against it happening. 
Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. I think there's two things to consider before we move on to the Europa League, and uh, both of them belong to the narrative FC camp. Uh, one of them is because of Chelsea, obviously. Uh, two of the last three Chelsea managers who were appointed mid-season won a European trophy at the end of their campaign, uh, which is interesting, but also one for Liverpool fans to hang on to. Liverpool-Chelsea in a semi-final, potentially. Final in Istanbul. Everton looking like they're on the brink of the top four <laughs> and a poor domestic season. I've seen this before. I, I, I've, I've watched this play out. So if you're a Liverpool fan, there's always that to hang on to. Um, Narrative FC says maybe, just maybe, this could be Liverpool's year again. And with that, I think it's probably time to move on to the Europa League. Thank yeah. you, Sam, for your for your eight. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. And and now I'm going to break your heart. Um, because oh, no, obviously, in eighth place. Yeah, I mean, it's probably worth running down the ties. Um, Granada faced Manchester United. Ajax faced Roma. Villarreal faced Dinamo Zagreb. And Arsenal faced Slavia Prague. Uh, and in eight, because of this, I've unfortunately had to put Sam's beloved Granada. Um, and it hurt me, Sam, to be honest, because I've been really enjoying watching your boys in this competition. And they've already done a giant killing in that they knocked out Napoli. Um, they managed to reasonably see through quite comfortably against Mulder in the last round and being in the last eight is is pretty incredible for Granada but I just think that this might be especially with the horrendous away form that continues to to kind of plague them and the amount of injuries on this injury list although there is obviously these two weeks to to try and get some of them back the walking wounded um I, I just think this might be a task too far oh I mean I I agree with you there's no getting away from it, is there? I mean, they're both I... by far the lowest ranked left in the, in the in the tournament. It's incredible for Granada to get this far. But look, I mean, Manchester United are one of the strongest, if not the strongest teams left in this competition. They are the, the favourites to win the competition, I would argue. And so if you get drawn against that team, you are in trouble. It's as simple as that. And it's it's heartbreaking. But look, my, you know this is right, because when the draw happened, I sent you a, a load of swear words in WhatsApp within sort of 30 seconds. And that's that's kind of how I felt about yeah. it. So it doesn't change. But I don't know. I think you can have more beliefs than this because I, I don't watch Granada, but you've seen how they've grown to, to what they've become. And you've also seen the flaws that Man United have. Um, anyone that doesn't listen to Patreon, I'll, I'll just repeat what Solskjaer said when the draw was made. He said that, um, you know, any team that uh, is in the position that Granada are in, in La Liga, are obviously a very good technical team and that he knows they'll be good um, on the attack and that Man United are going to be have to be very good defensively if they're going to come through that tie. Now, obviously, he was talking in cliche, Sam, because they're none of the traits that United are going to have to show in this tie. Um, but I don't know, like, do you really trust United wholeheartedly to go through this as easily as they should do? Like, Man United should win this tournament, yeah, but I don't have any faith at all. I wouldn't put Man United as number one in this list because I've just seen too many times them not fulfil their potential. My problem is that I don't think Granada are going to be able to score a goal against United. And really, that makes it difficult. That, to be fair, that makes to it qualify. that makes it really tough. I, yeah, mean, I thought you so, would. I thought I thought you would see them scoring the odd goal. That's, that's what I thought. I'm very. I'm full of obviously Leicester aside. I'm full of respect for for United's um, defensive ability, um, particularly in these kind of games. And what we saw against Milan was 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 pretty impressive in the second leg. To be honest with you, that I was expecting like a a 20 minute salvo from Milan at the end of the game because they needed a goal and just weren't able to to, to pluck up the momentum at all. 
And you have to respect that. And Granada, look, if they had Luis Suarez in the forward line, that would be fantastic. But don't, he's out for the season more or less. And the forward line is Roberto Soldado, 36 years of age, and Jorge Molina, 38. And it's going to have to be a Herculean effort and a set-piece goal to get anything out of this. And I, I just I just don't really see it, to be honest, which is, uh, which is a shame. Um, but hey, we knocked out Napoli over two legs, so who knows? Yeah, I think this is it. I don't think this is cut and dry. And I do think there is an element of this that you're like, we've got to the last day of a competition free hit. Just have a go and see what happens. But I think the United, considering they've knocked out two of the sides that I would have considered favourites as we went into the knockout side in, in Real Sociedad and then AC Milan, hmm. I, I think they've probably had the hardest task of anyone so far in the, in who they faced. And they've kind of swept them both aside reasonably comfortably. I mean, the Milan game was a little bit more tense towards the end. But as Sam said, that 20 minutes, we've expected this onslaught and United just saw it out. And, and there was never that onslaught that came. And and that was impressive, I think. And and that's got to, got to carry on. In, in seven, I've gone with Dinamo Zagreb, uh, conquerors of Tottenham. I think that they deserve immense credit. Uh, Mislav Orsic has become everybody's favourite player in the last couple of weeks with a majestic hat-trick to knock out Spurs. Um, Narrative FC, Drama FC in full swing. Everyone, apart from Spurs fans, apologies, having a great time, frankly, with the the whole drama of this and and how it went down and and seeing Mourinho suffer in, in, in this competition where he'd given it large, I think, you know, appealed to most people. Let's put it that way. Um, but I do think there's an element of this that is a bit... We've done the Herculean effort and now things drop off. And you look at, I always look at Barcelona after La Remontada and you get to the next round and just comfortably beaten by Juventus. And it, this always comes to mind. I think that Zagreb might have just used all of their powers to, to get that result and have that moment. Now, don't take this the wrong way because actually you do a bit of digging into Dino Zagreb and their home record is incredible. It is absolutely sensational. And there is merit in saying that you go to Zagreb and obviously they haven't had the full backing of their supporters, the bad blue boys, the the whole aura that surrounds a club hasn't been in full swing because of COVID-19, but they shouldn't be written off because their home record is exceptional. But I just think that we might see them now, you know, you have their moment and then just fade away. Uh, and that's why I've gone for them in seven. Um, we'll keep going. Uh, here's the big shock. First big shock. Six, Arsenal. Um, I've taken Arsenal very, very low um, because I like Arsenal a lot and I really like this side and I love Bukayo Saka and I love Kieran Tierney and I'm a huge fan of what Erdegaard's doing in there. And yet, I just can't see them getting through their bracket to the final. I, I just can't see it happening. I, I One, don't see them beating Slavia Prague. And two, if they do manage that, I don't see them beating Villarreal. And that's currently where I'm at with this. I, I think that they are in a in a really tricky situation that has basically put them up against sides that I think Arsenal will struggle to cope with. I think the what we've seen from Slavia in knocking out Leicester City, who I think are a better side than Arsenal, and then a Rangers side who were unbeaten in 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 their domestic league and remained unbeaten in their domestic league, and and have had a really really impressive European campaign. Uh, puts them in the ascendancy. And I don't think Arsenal, much as I like this side, and I think it's improving and growing under Arteta, I don't think they have the bottle or capacity to get through these two ties and then a final. Um, so I've got them in at six because I, I just think there are t- teams that are 
better equipped to win this trophy than Arsenal are. And, and a lot of people are probably think that's too low. I do think that might be a touch low. I understand where you're coming from. Um, although full respect to, to you for watching more Slavia Prague and more Europa League than me to measure, measure the, the respective quality of these teams. I guess people will be surprised that you have them, you know, beneath Slavia, although some respect to Slavia and what they've done so far is commanded. That said, I have them in sixth below Arsenal. So what, what do I know? But um, yeah, it is probably, it probably will surprise a couple. It surprised me actually, to be honest with you, because if you're, if you're worried about where a side has landed in the bracket and their ability to knock off teams of this caliber, I'm looking at Roma and wondering, is that not the same problem? Yeah, I uh, I have seen this. I just think that Arsenal have had a relatively easy go at it so far in terms of the teams yeah. they've had to face. And this is a Benfica side really, really struggling this season. And then Olympiakos side who, yes, are clear in the Greek league, but haven't really displayed much to make me think they were they were brilliant. And Arsenal kind of struggled with both, if I'm honest. Yeah, they did. Although yeah, that's I a mean... complete and utter disrespect to Yusuf El Arabi, Granada legend, Slavia definitely can beat Arsenal. I've watched the last two rounds and the problem with both Leicester and Rangers what was that they there was I know it's a bit of a um cliche but they did seem to both underestimate them and they didn't carve out anything like the opportunities that you thought that they would and both of those teams got to half time in the first legs and just seemingly um, surprised at what they were up against and, and Slavia are so well organised and they have such a good understanding that they'll definitely keep this tight um, I don't know I, this might be a step too far for Slavia though that, that's my only f- fear for them um, it might be a step too far Is it a bit like Liverpool in Champions League? Like, depends who turns up which Arsenal? Yeah I think it's completely like that kind of. um, and I just think that Arsenal's peak slash top here is is lower than well much lower than Liverpool's is because of what we've seen from Liverpool. I've I've got no evidence to suggest to me that Arsenal have got what they need to do here to, to get through this. I think the run they've had in this competition has been soft. And I, I I'm look, I'm again happy to be proved wrong here. Uh, if they go and if they go and beat Slavia and they go and comfortably beat them, then I think you go you go completely the other way. If they suddenly rear up and become this big European beast that we haven't really seen much of, then then yeah, sure. But I, I haven't seen enough yet to convince me that that's going to happen. And I have other teams ahead of them. It's not just about Slavia, is it? It's the fact that if they beat Slavia, they probably have to play against Unai Emery. Yeah, and they that- have to play Unai Emery's Villarreal, who I have at five. <laughs> and who I think are more likely to win this competition than Arsenal. One, because of Unai Emery, and two, because of Gerard Moreno. And and that is simply all I've got to say is that this man is, as a manager, is a Europa League stalwart, a legend. He's only failed to get past the quarterfinals once in five attempts in this competition. That was with Valencia. He has the pedigree. He has a team here that he's got settled. Now, Villarreal are on a bit of a slump domestically, um, but they've been very comfortable in this competition. They, they, they've kind of just seen off all comers without without kind of minimal fuss. And one of those was Jesse Marsh's Salzburg. We like a lot, right, as a, as a side. We're, you know, big fans of and we like what he's doing there. We're with Pats and Dakar and, and Wepu and a lot of players there that we think are, are very, very talented players. And Villarreal just sort of went, <laughs> no. And and that, for me, is, is the kind of mark. I think there's a little bit here that I trust Villarreal to get jobs done in this competition in a way that I just don't trust Arsenal. 
And, and and that is why, for me, I have them ahead of Arsenal right now because I think that Emery would win currently in a Nunai Emery derby. I I have them above Arsenal too, mate. I'm with you. I just I have Villarreal in third. Do you? Yeah, okay. like like just even higher. I mean, I've actually got Slavia in in sixth place. Arsenal in fourth and Villarreal in third. So I'm with you to an extent. I actually think you've underrated Villarreal. You're so worried about what you put Arsenal, you haven't put Villarreal high enough. <laughs> okay. Well, it's very plausible. In four, I've gone with Slavia Prague. Um, now, I think it's probably worth pointing out here and talking about this, that what we saw in the scenes against Rangers are aggressively unacceptable. And if that is, if all the allegations are true, which we consider from the reactions that there is no reason for them not to be. And Slavia Prague should be probably facing a ban from this competition. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you can't have that side kicking on to go and win it after what, what we've seen in, in the aftermath, especially of, of what's happened. Now, whether that happens or not is, is a different question. That's a question for UEFA. And so we've got to face the, the kind of look that we are going to see Slavia Prague playing in the next round, right? But I want to put it on record that if that is what's happened and the racist remarks that have been stated by Steven Gerrard towards Glenn Kamara uh, are true, then Slavia Prague shouldn't be in this competition. But that's not for us to decide. And so we have to kind of judge them on a football basis. So I just want to put that out there that it's, it's yeah. there before we, we go on totally. to talk about them. But, and it seems mad to kind of shoebox that and put it aside, but we're going to have to for the statement of this competition is... You know, I have to think that they they come in next in this. I think that they've shown beating Leicester and in beating Rangers that they have the capacity to knock out sides. I, I genuinely, I think you look at Leicester at the weekend, right? Being Man United, who I think are most people's favourites for this competition, and then you look at what Slavia did to them, and which was they completely and utterly outplayed them over two games. And then when you look at that, you go, right, hang on, who can't this side be? Because there is an argument to say that Leicester City were the best side left in this competition in the last 16, in the last 32. So with that in mind, I find it really hard to write Stavia off. I find it really, really difficult. Now, whether they have rode that wave of sort of everybody underestimating them to the point that they they no longer can do so, then fine. And that's an argument I think that's probably worth having. But for me, I, I don't see why they would go into any game, least one with Arsenal, who we know are fragile mentally, and, and not think, yeah, we can do a job on this lot. And, and I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah. The one thing that they will do is they'll force Arsenal into errors. Abdelazima doesn't give you a second on the ball and he will force you into errors and he'll twist and turn in the box. And it's so easy to foul him. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Slavia win a penalty. He was very close to getting one in the last game against Rangers and just, I think VAR judged it, it didn't. But um, And Peter Olienka, he'll cause problems as well in his own way. Stan Chu in midfield, he creates chances. He's good on uh, set pieces. Um, and then they're really solid as a unit as well and the way that they set up and, and defensively they all know each other so well. You know, whenever we spoke about the Europa League weeks back, we were looking towards this and said that in that documentary I'd watched on them and it was talking about how they basically ripped up the old team and brought through a team all together so that they would have this understanding. And even if it didn't work initially, the plan was that two or three years along the line, they would just have this complete belief and understanding of how everyone played. And it's so clear to see. It's so clear. And it's such a strength that they've got. And it's all their strengths are basically the opposite of what Arsenal's strengths are, <laughs> to be honest. It's a real mismatch of, of teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know I, I talk about Seema a lot, but uh, and especially if you follow the Twitter, I've just, I've just 
convinced that this lad is going on is going to make a big move. Like he's so good um, at leading. The, he doesn't even always lead the line. He comes off the wing a lot of the time. But it's just the his energy and he's he's just dangerous, man. And Arsenal's defense are going to hate him. They really are going to hate him. And if they try passing out the back then it's absolutely guaranteed they're going to concede. So, yeah. Dean, where That's have you it. got uh, Arsenal and Slavia, respectively, in your list? Well, they were sixth and fifth. <laughs> who, <laughs> Neither who, of them are going to win it. Who was fifth? Slavia. Slavia okay. were fifth, yeah. Well, a lot of faith for Slavia. Yeah. That means that my top three are all on one side of the bracket. Yeah. Um, which is potentially interesting, but I do think shows this strong side and weak side that we've got going on. Um, I expect to see Villarreal in the final. Um, but I think all three of these sides do a job on them. And so in third, I've gone for Roma. Um, now, Roma are a funny old beast, but I really like this Roma side. They're really fun to watch. And while they can't seem to beat anybody in the top seven in Italy, for some bizarre reason, they just can't win domestic fixtures against the big teams. They've arguably, apart from United, had the hardest route here to a quarter in that they face Braga, who have been flying in the Primera, who have the emotional connections with with their coach, Paolo Fonseca. And they beat Braga really comfortably, 5-1 on aggregate. They then went to Shakhtar Donetsk, who are monsters in this competition, who we know were kind of quietly considering themselves underdogs, who always tend to put up a good fight, semi-finalists last year. Roma beat them 5-1 on aggregate as well. Now they face Ajax. Now, this is the tie of the round for me, Ajax-Roma. And if me, it makes sense to, to bring them both in here. I have Ajax at two. So this is where I see, you know, the, it comes into how this tie plays out. And Ajax have the kind of luxury, I think, and the reason I've got them above Roma is because they have the luxury of being incredibly clear in their domestic league and being forced to rotate by the fact that they didn't include Seb Allaire in the Europa League squad. Now, we laughed at this at the time, but it actually might turn out to be enough to a masterstroke <laughs> because it forces their rotation policy and that they can be like, right, we have to bring that guy back in for league matches and means we have to give other players a rest during non-Europa League games. And what it does, I think, is freeze them up, whereas Roma are in a quite horrible European scrap in Serie A, which is going to go to the wire. We spoke about it at length on Monday, and we said that we we think that this is probably the tightest European race that's going at the moment because any one of the top seven could end two to seven, really, at this point. It, it really does feel like there's, there's loads to play for, and Roma are going to have to try and concentrate on that as well as, as keeping this Europa League running. And that's the only reason I've gone for Ajax ahead of Roma here, because... I think that they have more scope to rest and rotate, whereas Roma just have a lot to do on all fronts. So I put Roma in fifth, mm. Ooh. much lower. I, I don't I don't think it's just about the ability to rotate, mate. I just think Ajax are flat out a better side than Roma. I just do. Okay. And Ajax this calendar year, you know, since the turn of the year, have been unbelievable. Like the, the form and the results and the amount of goals they scored and the way they are dispensing with teams in the Europa League, similar to Roma, that you also have to pay them that credit. Like they're just absolutely yeah, swanning past meal. teams. I know that, like, you know, not necessarily like young boys are a lesser opponent than Shakhtar Donetsk, for example. But anyone they come into contact, but they had with, knocked out by Leverkusen. Yeah, anyone they come into contact with right now, they are sweeping aside just in the most professional of fashions. It, it's, it's scary to watch. I've got Ajax in second. Um, I think they're excellent, and I think they are a serious, serious contender for this trophy. And I, I, 
I do expect them to beat Roma like reasonably convincingly, to be honest. Do you? See, I think this will be a really tight game. I think this will I be a really tight be game. And it's probably, I think, the, probably my favourite matchup of the competition so far, which is which is nice to see. And that means that I've got Manchester United at one. Right now, I'll make this clear. I think they're over-heralded as favourites. And Chris Sutton said on the Europa League Roundup show last week that it's an open goal and it would be a disgrace if United don't win it. I think that's ridiculous and a huge overreaction. <laughs> yeah, given I the think strength Chris Sutton's ridiculous, don't you? Has Chris Sutton ever played tournament football? <laughs> yes, Celtic used to be really good. I think you can forget that. Um, <laughs> but it was a huge overreaction given the strength of some of the teams left in the competition and also the side of the bracket that they're on. That said, they are the favourites because the United first team is far more expensive and far more storied than any other side left here. And I think they have the best squad in the competition. And to rule that out, I think, would be silly. Now, I agree with what Dean said really early on here, is that I think this United side has flaws, major flaws, that we've seen exploited. And I think that their lack of rotation has been a real problem. Uh, I think the fact that they don't have a recognised six is a huge problem. And I think that teams can get at this United side. But I think that they will probably see off Granada without too much fuss. And then it's basically three games to win it. And I think on the basis of the fact that they have the players there in the likes of Rashford and Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba, who can just win you games on their own, and they have more of those players than almost any other side left, just means I think they will probably be the most likely people to get this done. And and that's why I've gone for them at top. I, mean, I agree with you. I think it's really possible to do a load of mental gymnastics to try and make it so that you put Ajax or Villarreal because of Emery or Roma at, at the top. You don't have to overcomplicate these things sometimes. They have the strongest squad. They have the most difference makers. And in particular, in Pogba and Bruno, two world-class difference makers. And there's no other team that can really argue that they have that. So for me, it's clear. United with the soft um, quarterfinal draw with Granada, the, you know, number eight on our lists, plus all of that, they've got to be top. There was a time when um, United fans would have like not cared about this tournament and almost been embarrassed that they were in it. Uh, but I think most United fans are now realistic enough to know that, look, they fell a long way after Sir Alex Ferguson and it's taking them a long time to get back to where they want to be and they're still not there. Um, but you know, this season has been pretty successful in the fact that they've even put up any sort of title challenge to Man City. Um, they probably should have got further in the FA Cup than they have because there was a good opportunity there. They kind of need to win the Europa League to add some colour to this season and make sure that it's not just written off as a nearly year because the Europa League success now is significant. And look, Jose Mourinho uh, tactically in the Europa League for United was really good. And I think that Solskjaer has to really figure this out now and obviously he spoke of tiredness after the Leicester City defeat um, and he really has to manage the squad over the rest of this season and almost prioritise this now because it's everything. Um, I think that winning the Europa League is a fantastic success. If they win the Europa League and come second in the Premier League, that is a great season and a great foundation to then go into the summer transfer window and get those two or three players that can kick you on again. So yeah, they should be number one. Um, there is a chance that they suffer a shock and embarrassing defeat because that's the nature of this Man United team. They don't always turn up when they should do. You want those big players to though to come forward now and to say, look, this is why I'm at Man United. This is what we're planning for. And this is, this is proof to you all that actually Solskjaer can win trophies. To hammer home a point Dean makes there, 
if there are any United fans out there still that, that don't really take this competition particularly seriously or, or, or do feel maybe embarrassed to be in it, like as Dean said, like, this is a, tr- is a tremendous achievement to win the Europa League. That is a serious piece of silverware. You should be delighted if you win it and you should give it your everything. It is not like some deformed sister of the Champions League. Like it's an incredible competition and the calibre of teams in remaining. It, if you beat Ajax and Roma on the, and Villarreal on the way to the... That's a serious achievement. Like take it seriously. Yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. And the teams they've already beaten. Real Sociedad, AC Milan. Yeah. This would be some run. You know, the Granada, you know, with all due respect, Sam, aside... To get to, to, you know, you're looking at getting a, a five kind of way to the final run that includes a lot of the top teams across Europe. And you know and that's worth considering. You could argue, actually, that it's a harder run than Chelsea have had, could have to the Champions League final when you consider that Chelsea had a, a pretty easy Champions League group stage. OK, they had the tough draw against Atleti, but then the way that that draw is panning out. If I was a United fan and, and you were to get to that Europa League final and win it, I'd say, hang on, this is a bigger achievement <laughs> the Champions League if you've got the Chelsea no, it's not a bigger achievement the run was difficult, more difficult yeah okay yeah, 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 agree. Fair, fair, agree. Fair. it goes back it goes back to the bracket doesn't it it goes back to the bracket but but that's all done so that's it that's the eight Um, that's my that's my decision as they come eight Granada seven Dinamo Zagreb six Arsenal five Villarreal four Slavia Prague three Roma two Ajax one Manchester United Um, and that's the Europa League wrapped Lovely. and after the break we're going to be doing a melon and a gibberish ranking. Thanks. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC and D Jones. It's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Joe Hart. Oh no. Joe Hart. So, Joe. In the hours after Tottenham lost 3-0 to Dinamo Zagreb and were knocked out of the Europa League, a post appeared on his Insta stories with an image and the 3-0 scoreline saying... Job done with a nice big green tick. Amazing. So um, someone's misread this situation, haven't they? So here's what Joe Hart, once he discovers this, comes on to his social media to say. He comes on in a video and says, look, I feel like I need to come on and make an apology on behalf of my social media team. Someone thought we'd won 3-0 last night and posted job done. As sloppy as it sounds, that's the truth. It's unacceptable. I'm sure it's annoyed a lot of people. I think it did, mate. Uh, I'm sorry it come to this. It's obviously not come from me. I've got nothing but love for the club, and um, I'm just uh, into this club as much as the boys are and as down as they are. Um, look, this is so melanish on so many levels. Um, how first? How it's on also earth? definitely true. Yeah. it's a hundred percent true. It's fine. How on earth? Has the social media person messed this up? It was the story of the day, right? Everybody knew that this had happened. Um, you can't even say that, oh, no, it was a scheduled post. No, it wasn't because it was an IG story. And it's come with, like, it had to come at this time when this other post had come out with the 3-0 scoreline on it. So, a 3-0, for Christ's sake. There's no escape. So that's this. not an excuse. It's just such a mess up. Secondly, why on earth 
really does Joe Hart need a social media team? I know it's normal these days, right? But Joe Hart has played 10 games all season. And on his Instagram, there's been 20 posts in the last three months, right? It's not like he hasn't got time to be doing this stuff. He's a sub goalie at Tottenham that trains for like two or three hours a day and then sits on the bench for the rest of the week or in a bus or in a plane or in a hotel. Like, what? Why do all these footballers don't need a social media manager? Like Marcus Rashford might, and they've got a really good one as well. But the rest of you, come on, you can do your own job and don't blame them when something goes wrong either. Take the flack. Um, this was so melanish, but so funny. I loved it. Yeah, very, very good. Not much you could do about that, really. But it's um, <laughs> at least he fucked it up. He's, it's it's definitely true. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. And he did front it up, but he has a full on melon for, <laughs> for all of the above, including whoever's on the social media team. They're a melon and all. So everyone they in are. Joe Hart's corner here has full melons attached. Totes. Changing it up a little bit this week, aren't we? Whoa. Dean Jones, it's time for the gibberish ranking. Yeah, Sam's done a lot of work on this episode, so I've jumped in. Um, the gibberish ranking this week is the best takeaways I've had in lockdown. Um, best takeout food that... It's now a year, lads, a y- the year anniversary of since the UK was first put into lockdown. Um, mm. It's felt as long as it really has been, probably longer. Um, but there are a couple of things that have helped me get through. And look, I've, I haven't included pizza in this list because otherwise it would just be a list of three different pepperoni pizzas and that wouldn't be um, a great thing to listen to, would it? So um, pizzas aside, here we go. And at number three... Chicken sheesh wrap and chips. Oh, um, yeah. This is proper weekend drunk takeout food. And during this pandemic, it's been a nice reminder of normal life um, because almost everything's been taken away from us. But the Saturday night kebab has been able to live on because the takeaway has stayed open for most of the time. And I was able to have one of these actually on Saturday while I watched Brighton v Newcastle with a couple of beers. And I really enjoyed it. You've got the chilies in there, the peppers and the burger sauce, the tomato. It's got to be a large load of chicken in there um, and a side of fries. It's just perfect, you know, and it's little nights like that. Just a tiny thing. Costs, what, seven quid? Lovely. Just reminds me of how life used to be over a year ago. Do you lads add that yet? I haven't eaten a kebab for 13 years. I don't think I've eaten a kebab sober. Um, Ever. I just haven't had one. It's not. I've stopped. Well, like chicken a... sheesh is all right. Chicken sheesh is actually not that unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not. It's not. It's not a dig. It's just there's no real. It's just something I've never really like. I, I don't have to walk past a kebab shop on the way home. Like it's you know when people do that, they're always like, oh, I have to walk past it, and then they're like, well, I'm always going to go in. If I did, then I'd almost certainly go in more. Yeah, well, I've obviously had to go out my way to get it. I've got to drive ten minutes down the road. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, but you're, you've done it sober, which is different. Um, but I am, I am keen. So to, I, I to used hear to have more. to walk past a, a kebab shop on the way home to my old place, and um, I used to go in quite a lot. But I would, I would almost always get something else other than kebabs. I just never, I never ordered them. Like I'm more than happy to get like wings or something like that instead. I just don't. Weird. It's just not something I do. Fair enough. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Right, number two, Khan's Indian. So, Taylor has lived in England now for about 10 years, right? And when lockdown started, we'd never actually had a, an Indian takeaway. Never. We'd, we'd had a few, we'd had it out a few times in restaurants, 
But, you know, she's never been a massive fan of, of curries. She's not a big f- fan of spicy things anyway. And in America, like Indian cuisine, where she's from, it's not really that big of a thing. So she'd just not grown up with it, wasn't really into it. So I'd mainly had to save these times for when I'm out with my mates and had a few beers or whatever. Um, anyway, so we moved house like six months ago. And about week two, I was craving a curry because I hadn't had one for so long. Um, and so I said, okay, like let's do it. Let's, let's go for it. And... Um, we found one, well, looking through the list, and I found one that was a bit healthier. It had something like, I don't know, like no artificial food colouring or something. So I managed to dress it up as healthy. And um, off we went, and it, and it arrived. And since that day, we've probably had one a month through lockdown. And and this has been great. So you've got, you got the poppadom starters with your chutneys. You can get a couple of those in. Um, and obviously, you get your poppadoms, and you just do the karate chop, so they go straight in half. So that's all nicely done. And you've got your naan bread. Obviously, Taylor goes for the chicken korma. Um, I do actually quite like a chicken korma, but you know she doesn't like spicy foods, so she's got to have that. I might have a Problem dan with korma or in something the, like a that. Cor- a korma is really nice, but you are not allowed to order it as a man. No, the point is that in in the words of Smithy from Gavin and Stacey, in my eyes, a korma is pointless. It's futile. You, you know, you may as well not have anything. Like you know, I'm 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 completely completely <laughs> sold on the idea that you just don't. They're just not not here for it really but they are well nice yeah yeah, yeah it's no, really not nice, for me actually. not for me nowhere near enough spice just not it's not oh I well, never what's good it. actually with it is is when you dip the naan bread in like that's what actually makes the the korma sauce is, is is different class actually um the sag paneer a bit of pilau rice and obviously you get a nice cold beer to go with it as well um so yeah that, that's become a monthly thing now in, in this house which which wasn't a thing before lockdown so I, i'm happy Wait, what with are you that. ordering but lads the best takeout i had and this is pretty special. I mean, it was about a month ago now. And I just, oh, well, I just went a bit mad, to be honest with you. And I, we ate like kings. We love Turkish food. And there's a restaurant in the town that most of them are like these little chains or whatever. But there is one nice big restaurant. And it's a Turkish called Cappadocia. And whenever the world's normal, we'll go there like once a month or something and have a, have a half decent meal. It's good. But we've never had takeout from there because why would you? I didn't even know it was possible, to be honest with you. But obviously they've started doing it if they didn't do it before. We started getting the odd dinner, maybe a lamb, lamb sheesh or whatever, and hummus and pita. But yeah, about a month ago, I was looking through the menu. <laughs> I spent 80 quid on a takeaway. <laughs> 80 quid. I mean, luckily, more than when, we I ordered, a month these days, when I ordered it, he said, do you want a delivery or a, or a collection? And uh, he said, if you collect it, you get 20% off. The price is like £78. I was like, well, yeah, it was 20% off that. I think I probably better take that, mate. Um, i sure I could afford what I've just ordered. Lads, here was my order. 15 quid off that. Yeah. Yeah. So we had hummus, pita, halloumi, lentil soup, chicken sheesh, chicken wings, and... Wait for it. For Maine, I had, and as they say on the menu, an aged finest Scottish fillet steak served with peppercorn sauce, sautéed spinach and baby potatoes. At home! I had that for a takeaway at home with a nice bottle of red wine. I sat at one end of the table. Taylor sat at the other end of the table. We poured the wine. We ate like it was the last meal of our lives. We were so bloated we could barely move afterwards. So we had to sit there for an hour, finishing off the wine and watching a bit of TV. Oh, it was fantastic. I think it was like a Thursday. It was ridiculous, but it was a good time. Mate, I, I'm reeling, reeling from the idea that you could order a sirloin steak from a Turkish restaurant when you've got all of that to to offer. Mad. 
mad, like, I, mad. I that does sound a, a big I had a mistake to be honest, DJ. Well, it's totally extravagant. That's why it's at number one. I've never done it before. And I'll probably never do it again. But I hadn't literally hadn't. I don't cook steak at home. I hadn't been to a restaurant for a year and steak was on the menu. The steak was £24. <laughs> <laughs> I've ordered something called a takeaway well, menu for £24. Off, it's actually only £19.40. Yeah, true. I mean, I didn't know that at the time of ordering, but it definitely helped afterwards when I was looking back at how much I'd just spent on this, on this food. Um so it was absolutely ridiculous, very extravagant, probably will never happen again. But um, when, it, when I look back on my memories of lockdown, it'll be right up there, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> very good. Very good. My um, my takeaway of choice is there's an Indian near me called Annapurna and it is genuinely world class, like absolutely top notch. Um, so I've got to shout out them boys if we're talking takeaways because they've, they've, yeah, they've I'm helped actually me. starving. It's the only takeaway I really have. Is it? the only takeaway really have. You don't have pizza? Yeah, an Indian uh yeah but like not like as a family that's just when i get like hungry at night yeah fair enough. um yeah not like a, a big thing but yeah an indian once a month or so it really does help 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 take the pain of lockdown away and uh, with that boys that's very good thing it's probably time to call this a day um and so all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much sab Tai. cheers buddy thank you very much dean jones cheers mate I've been Jack Collins. It's been Ranks FC. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week when we have a very special Copa del Rey final preview episode. We'll see you soon. Take care, Ranks Squad. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 